Just a little review before we jump in this morning. Uh, Justin spoke last week and, and he told us that if we want to be a church that loves God and, and, and loves others, and he gave us three different points, and he said that we would need to be a church that loves worship. And he's not just talking about this song set that we just had, but that we would live our lives as worship, that uh, we would live our lives as a sacrifice that's pleasing to the Lord, and that would be our act of worship. And the second thing that he said is that we would love diversity, that we should be glad that we're all made different, that we are all created different, we were all created with different gifts, and therefore we are diverse. And so that we should love that we are not like anybody else. And the third thing is that he said that we should love service. And he wasn't just talking about our Sunday service or a Wednesday night service or, or a prayer service, but he was talking about that we would love serving the church, that we would love serving one another. And we would see that because we were all created different and we were all been gifted in different ways, and, and, and we would use those gifts to serve. And so that we would love using the ways that the Lord has equipped us to serve the church. So this morning we're going to be in Romans chapter 12, verses 9 through 21. So if you have your copy of God's Word, go ahead and open it up and find your way to Romans chapter 12. If you need some help, there's a table of contents in uh, the beginning of the Bible. And uh, the big numbers are the chapters and the small numbers are the verses. So Romans chapter 12. Are you all there? Yeah, some of you, okay, it looks like half of you are there, but we'll go ahead and start reading. It'll also be on the screen. So starting in verse 9, it says this, Let love be genuine. Abhor what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Do not be slothful in zeal. Be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. Contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. Rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God. For it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. By, by, for by doing so, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, and overcome with good. If we read that passage, I believe... We could almost have a sermon over each one of those verses if we wanted to. But this morning, there's a prayer I'm going to ask to be up on the screen. I want you to look at this prayer before we pray. It says this, Father, what we do not know, teach us. What we have not, give us. What we are not, kindly make us. For your son's sake, amen. This is an old Anglican prayer that I came across this week. But as I, as I look at it, man, what we don't know about this text, Father, would he teach us? What we have not in these things, that maybe the things that we're not living out, would he give us those? And what we're kindly, what we're not, would he make us these things? So would you pray with me? Would you pray maybe a prayer similar to this this morning? Father, as we come and we see your word this morning, and Father, we ask that what we do not, 
don't know maybe when it comes to this text or maybe the things that we're struggling with, maybe the things that are hard to do as we read this and as we look, Father, would you help us in those areas? Father, many of us maybe struggle with one or, or more of these things. So, Father, would you make us what we are not? By your Spirit, would you move in our lives so that we would become more like your Son, Jesus? In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So this morning, as we would jump into this, as we would dive into this text, there are over 20 things that we are called to do in this passage. There's over, over 20, what, in the ESV it says, the marks of a true Christian. There's over 20 of these things that we would look at and say, like, these are the things I need to be if I'm a follower of Christ. And so maybe you are someone who loves lists. Maybe you make a grocery list. Maybe you make your back-to-school list. Maybe you have lists for all these different things. Maybe you've got a to-do list. And so maybe your tendency would be just to go in and write these things down, and that's great. But these aren't just like, a, hey, I, I did this once, I checked the box, I'm done with it, I move on to the next thing. These are our life, our, our life is filled with all of these things constantly, day in, day out, tomorrow when you're at work, tomorrow when you get home from work. Our lives should be filled with all of these things. Paul expects all believers to do these things and not... Not just once, but our life would live these things. And maybe before we jump into these, if we look back to Romans chapter 11 and we would see verse 33, it says, Oh, the depth of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and how, or how inscrutable his ways. So we, as we would look, if we're honest, what we're going to look at, some of these things are going to be tough for us to do. But what we know and what we see in this verse is how great are the Lord's ways. How great are the things that he's calling us to be as believers. So the first thing that we see in this text and, and what we see, if we want to be a church that loves God and loves others, then we need to be a church that has a genuine love. So we need to be a church that has a genuine love. We don't need a fake love, but we need a real love, something that is real. A genuine love should be in the lives of all believers. What I would tell you is this. There's a lot of counterfeit things in the world. And sometimes it's even scary how fake or how real the fake things are looking. And so there are a lot of fake things in the world. Maybe you would think like fake money, like they can't get that cool like water seal behind it on the $100 bill. But there's a lot of things that are fake that are becoming real. So there's this website that's very dangerous in my life, and it's called DHgate. And you can buy all of these fake things that look extremely real off of it. So maybe it's like shoes that you don't want to spend the extreme amount of money on, but you can get them for $30. That's me. So I love all the fake things. Maybe it's a, a jersey that you don't want to pay the real money for, but you get it and it looks completely real. And, and so, so it's kind of crazy how the fake things are becoming more real. And so John Calvin said this, it's, it is difficult to express how ingenious almost all men are in counterfeiting a love they don't really possess. What he's saying is we're good at faking our love. Many of us, we're good at counterfeiting our love. Maybe we can make it look real for the moment, but when we leave, it's fake. And, and, and so we're good at making things, our love, mainly something that is fake. Maybe you've heard the statement like this, fake it until you make it. 
All right, many uh, people maybe even live their life about this. Maybe they walk into a job interview and they would go like, I'm going to fake it so I can get this job, but I don't really know what's going to happen when I get this job because I don't know what I'm going to do because I don't know what I'm doing. But I'm just going to fake it so I can get this job. Maybe there's other areas of life that you would, would see and you would fake it until you make it. But here's what we're doing. We're not to call to fake the love. It should be genuine. It should be real. Maybe the truth is in our lives we haven't been loving or our love has been fake. Since our love is called to be genuine, many things after we would see this, it would follow suit. So it's kind of crazy how it starts off. Let your love be real and then everything else kind of flows after that. If we have a genuine love, then we should hate what is evil. If we have true loves as followers of Christ then what we see is we're called to hate what is evil. Maybe we would have a holy hatred for evil things. We can't tolerate what is evil. This passage tells us to hate what is evil. What I would describe evil as is evil is an enemy that is used to distract us from becoming like Christ. So for us to hate what is evil isn't just like, yeah, I hate what is evil. It's not just a Facebook post But it's a lifestyle that would say, like, I hate what is evil, and evil is an enemy to me becoming more like Christ. This is what our life should be made of. What we also see is we must hold fast to what is true. This means that we would be glued or be tight to what is good, to what is true, and our life should be joined together. What this maybe reminds me of when I see this, hold fast to what is true and that we would hold tight. If we would maybe go to Home Depot or Lowe's or or whatever your place is that you would go to get home supplies or whatever, usually they have a section and it's called the fastener section, right? And they have nuts and they have bolts. And when you want to have a nut and a bolt and you put it together, you want something to be held tight. You aren't going to get home and put that that, uh, nut and bolt together and like barely tighten it. Like, no, you're going to get all the might you have and get it as tight as possible because you want it to hold fast. So this is what we are to do in our lives, that we would be tight, we would be glued to what is good, the good things that God has called us to. And so the idea that we see behind this is is that we would be holding fast, we would hold to what is true. And that all flows from hating what is evil and letting our love be genuine. Paul then explains that his genuine love points to one another. The idea that we see when it talks to this love that we would love one another with brotherly affection points to a love that we would have towards our family members. So it wouldn't just then exist with our family members, but that it would exist within the body. This would be a love that we would have for each other, a love that may be uncommon in the world, but a love that is produced through the unity of the gospel. And so where do we get this example of this love and brotherly affection from? It's from the gospel and how Jesus came to have a, so that he would live the perfect life and died so that we could have salvation through him. That's the love that we're being called to show with our brotherly affection. So Paul is underlining the truth that Christians are members of one family, that they're members of one body, and that accordingly... They should love one another. They should have a warm or a fervent love for one another. The next command that we see comes from our genuine love is that we would be outdoing one another in showing honor. 
Paul is telling me the Romans, or Paul is telling the Romans not to seek first place or, or not to be so maybe on their high horse or, or think so much about themselves that they are to seek honor and show honor to one another. Maybe it's maybe this idea if you've ever been like walking up to a set of doors with the same person and you both open up the door, one on the left, one on the right, you're both holding up the door. No one's going in, but you're arguing and saying, no, you go in. They're saying, no, you go in. And so it's like they're, they're fighting out, doing one another, showing honor. They want to be the person that holds the door. Maybe you want to be the person that holds the door. So you insist, like, no, you. And they're like, no, you. And so they're outdoing one another, trying to show honor. Man, this is how we should live our lives. This is how that love is showing us, that we would be outdoing one another in in showing honor to maybe the different things that we have in our life. I also would say this doesn't mean that we think of ourselves in a lowly manner. Maybe we aren't walking around going like, I'm, I've got to be thinking of myself so lowly, I'm going to think about all these bad things about myself because I've got to think highly of others. This isn't what it's saying. It's showing that we would outdo one another. We also see the call to not be slothful and zeal. Do you want to know what the easy way to say that is? Is to don't be lazy. Don't be lazy. All right? So, so don't be slothful and zeal. Translate simply, don't be lazy. This is a call for us to not be lazy in our walk with Christ or with serving the church or, or serving others. What this means is that we are to put our whole heart and soul into what we are doing. The life-giving presence of the Spirit radically changes our lives and radically changes maybe the way that we would think. And so E.J. Goodspeed speaks of being on fire with the Spirit, that we wouldn't be lazy, but that we would be going and working and serving. A Spirit-filled life, what we would see is, by definition, if we're filled by the Spirit, cannot be dull and boring because we're working and we're always seeking to outdo one another. We're seeking to, to not be lazy. We're seeking to work. If we're putting forth all that we have, the next thing that we are to do is to serve the Lord. That's the next thing that we see. If we're putting forth all that we have, we are called to serve the Lord. And so, so Paul's not re- referring to us just simply like coming and, and leaving. This is a call for all believers. Let me ask you this question. How are you serving the church? Man, I would say attending is great. But what we see, this passage calls us to serve the Lord. So how are you serving the Lord? Attending's great, but we see the call to serve. Where's your spot? And I would say this isn't just a call for the adults in the room. I mean, this is a call for all believers. So whether you're a kid or you're a student, man, we are called to serve the Lord. Charles Spurgeon says this, to serve God is to enjoy the highest pleasure. And then he says, I will warrant you that the happiest members of any church are the most diligent. So he's saying the people that are serving are are the people that are most diligent. They're the most happy because they're working. They're serving the church. And then he says this, those who sit still easily imagine sorrows. Idlers are those who indulge in criticism of other people's service and find themselves most happy when they can be pulling another person's work to pieces. So man, what maybe eye-opening this is for some of us. Man, if we're, if we're serving the church, it seems like what Charles Spurgeon is saying is he found often in his churches the people are most happy when they're serving and being diligent for the Lord. The people that weren't serving tended uh, to be criticizing how other people served. 
So let us not be a people that complain about how others serve, but let's get to work. Let's be a church that serves. So I would tell you, if you're not serving, find a place to serve. And I'll say it again, find a place to serve. I think it's that important that you are involved. In fact, why don't you turn to your neighbor and say, hey, find a place to serve. There are three things that we see in verse 12 that we're called to be. We're called to be joyful. We're called to be patient. We're called to be constant in prayer. The early Christians had often little joy or a little little things to be joyful about but what we see is they rejoiced in the lord they weren't really concerned about the things the material possessions that they had in their life they didn't have much so their joy solely came from the lord i would also say maybe patience sometimes gives the wrong impression but but because paul's words here denote not a passive of, of like putting up with things but an active, steadfast endurance. And they're seeking these things. Paul has a great deal also to say about prayer. And it's clear that he was constantly praying. And so I would think most Christians will confess the difficulty of of maintaining a regular prayer life. And I would say if many Christians are, are having a hard time maintaining a prayer life, the real reason I would say is probably not too difficult to discern because I would say if Satan can keep us out of touch with God I would say he would not have to worry about the the things that we're doing to the evil kingdom if if, if Satan can keep us distracted from the Lord he doesn't have to worry about the things that we're doing that are good in the world he doesn't have to worry about how we are are spreading the gospel and so I would say if, if we're not spending time with the Lord then we're not really effective in the kingdom of God The next thing that we see is to take care of others' needs and to show hospitality, that we should be ready to help those in our fellowship and we should be ready to help those that are maybe in our community that need help. This is what we are called to do. I think we could, if we're all honest, I think we could all learn a lesson in hospitality. This is more than being nice and and more than just saying hi. The exercise of hospitality was of great importance during this time. Many people traveled and they would have to find places to stay. And oftentimes they would find other believers just to open up their house. Maybe they've never met before. And that's where the family would stay. And so maybe you heard a little bit from this interview today. But what I would tell you, maybe from our Honduras trip as well. Man, those people were great at showing hospitality. They put any of us to shame. You know why? Because they don't have it scheduled. So we would show up maybe to a house, and and next thing we know, we were inside their house, and they were telling us to have a seat on their furniture while they would stand. And and it doesn't matter what their house looked like. In fact, one of these churches, or one of these houses that we went and visited, we asked to use their bathroom, and then we asked to use their water, and next thing you know, all of our team that went to Honduras was at this house. And And the next thing we know, The lady's inside making fresh tortillas on her stove, and she's feeding us fresh tortillas. She didn't know we were coming. She didn't have that masa ready to make those tortillas, but she just started. She wanted us, she wanted to show hospitality. Next thing we know, we've got somebody that needs to be baptized, and we looked over, and they've got a great area that they store their water in that could be a great baptismal area. And so next thing we know, it's like, hey, can we use your water to baptize someone? 
And they go, yeah, like, but this was not planned. They were just ready to show hospitality in all of their lives. This is the same things that talking with Trevor last week that were happening on their South Sudan trip. People just opening up their doors and showing hospitality. Man, I think this is, is what we have a lesson to learn in. Oftentimes, I think we would say, like, we're good at hospitality because I said hi to somebody in the commons area. Like, this isn't hospitality. It's, are we inviting people in? And so we also saw this, that just other cultures, I think, are better than, at hospitality than us. As we went to Launchbox, there was people that were welcoming us in in Fort Worth that were refugees into their apartment just to have a conversation with them. Many of us would say like, hey, thanks for coming. Maybe we've got the ring doorbell. And we're like, no, nope, don't want to answer that door. Like, I don't want to talk to them. Or, or, or maybe we would say like, man, thanks for stopping by, bringing me some cookies. But like, don't come in. My house is a wreck. Like, it's not clean. It's a little dusty. Things are everywhere. And we'd say, don't come in. I think we have a lesson to learn in hospitality. What we also see starting in verse 10 is, 14 is now we have, see how we should treat those that are not in the church. We have been given firm instruction on how to treat others. Even those who we might disagree with are those that have treated us poorly, those who have persecuted us. And I would say this call in verse 14 sets a very high standard for us as believers. If we would remember the teachings of Jesus and in the Sermon on the Mount, he says in Matthew 5 and Luke 6, 28, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. And then we see the ideal from Stephen in Acts chapter 7, verse 60, Lord, do not hold this sin against them as he was being stoned. What we see in this is the word blessed is used twice. Also, also, I think this is because he's putting emphasis on what we should do that we would be blessing them. And so this seems to imply that it has maybe even already started, that people were cursing them because of their persecution that the Christians were facing. Paul makes it clear that this has no place among those who have a relationship with Christ. So stop cursing others and start blessing them. Pray that the Lord would bless our enemies. Pray that the Lord would bless those who persecute this or persecute us. So maybe this is the call that we see for us to stop cursing those we disagree with and that we would spend our time asking for the Lord to bless them. Our old nature, our sinful nature says to curse them. But God says, ask me to bless them. We don't have to agree with them, but we are called to bless them. I think it's interesting that we would look forward to Romans chapter 13 verses 1 and 2. It says this, let every person be subject to the governing authorities. For there is no authority except from God, and those that exist have been instituted by God. Therefore, whoever resists the authorities resists what God has appointed, and those who resist will incur judgment. Man, in these verses it's clear that the Lord is in control of all things. He has placed people over us and that he is sovereign and that he is in control. We may be persecuted, but let's remember that the Lord's in control, that we are called to bless those who persecute us. We're going to face persecution. We're going to face suffering. If you don't believe me, take some time to read 1 Peter this week. But let's be people who follow God's word and bless and not curse. If we would look, we spent the whole spring going through 1 Peter with our students on Wednesday nights. 
And what I felt like I told them every week was like, you're going to suffer. Close the book. We're going to suffer. I feel like that was over and over and over again. We're going to be persecuted. I fet like that's what I told them for 16 weeks straight in the spring. So what we know, it's going to happen. We're going to suffer. We're going to be persecuted. But we are called to bless those people who may persecute us or who treat us poorly. So also, as our love would be genuine, we should be there in all areas of life for one another, rejoicing and weeping. And I I would say in my life, it's easier for me to come alongside of someone when they've lost a loved one, to be there when they're weeping with someone. I think in my area, in my life, I struggle to rejoice with others who are rejoicing. And I think sometimes if if we're honest, we don't want to rejoice with someone who's rejoicing because we probably are a little jealous of what the Lord did in their life. We're maybe a little sad that it didn't happen in our life. So in all areas of life, as we would live life in community with one another, we don't just weep with those who are weeping, but we rejoice with those who are rejoicing even when it might be difficult. If we would look in Luke chapter 15, and look at verses 25 through 32. This is the story of the prodigal son. And as he came home, what did the older brother do? He was upset that the, the dad was giving him attention. He was saying, like, I'm here. Like, I've been here. I haven't gone. And so if we would look and we would say, like, he did a poor job of rejoicing with those who were rejoicing. Man, I, and I think that speaks oftentimes to my life. That I do a poor job rejoicing with those who rejoice because I'm a little jealous. So it may be hard to rejoice for others, but we're called to do this. We're called to weep. Let's not miss the opportunity to live life in community with one another as maybe people go through the ups and downs of life. May we be there with them at all times. The next point that we can see in this passage is that if we want to be a church that loves God and loves others, we need to be a church that has a peaceful love. That we need to be a church that has a peaceful love love. If our love is peaceful, we're going to have to live a life full of humility. We see that in verse 16, that we would live in harmony with one another and that we wouldn't be haughty, but we would associate with the lowly. We don't need to think of ourselves in a high manner. Maybe for some of us in the room, we need to get off the high horse. We need to come down to reality a little bit. So there's no need to be prideful. And here's what we see. The person who is wise in his own eyes is rarely wise in the, in the sight of other people. So let's not be haughty. Let's not be prideful. But maybe we come down to reality. And we would look and we would say the person that we're living with or the persons that we're dealing with, maybe we aren't viewing ourselves better than them. So as, as we have a peaceful love, we are called to live in harmony with one another Paul is speaking of unity in this area. Paul is calling us to be of the same mind. Scripture says to not repay evil for evil. If our love is full of peace, then we should repay evil to no one at all. doesn't matter if we agree with them or if we disagree with them, that we are to not repay evil for evil. Clearly, I would say this is an important part of us living our lives like Christ. Paul is dealing with a, a, a natural, our natural human tendencies to get even. Maybe we would think when someone does wrong against us, our mind would imme- immediately go to like, what can I do to get them back? 
Maybe if you have siblings in the room, that's the way you grew up. Like, my sister just did this and she didn't get caught, so I'm going to go sneak around and try to do something else to repay evil for evil. That's our natural human tendency. But what we see in the passage is we're called to not be that way. And so what we would see is Paul wants us to be opposed to wickedness and focus on righteousness. As we do these things, let's not alienate ourselves from the world around us. Remember the people that persecute us, the people that we disagree with, are the people that we are called to reach with the gospel. That we're called to be the salt and the light of the world. So as we would not repay evil for evil, let's not alienate ourselves away from the people that are persecuting us or doing evil things to us, but that we would be the people that go forth with the gospel. We would be the people that would be the salt and the light of the world and share the gospel to others. As we live our life, it should point to the gospel. Paul is not calling us to accept the things contrary to the Bible, but Paul is calling us to point people to the gospel. We are called to proclaim the gospel. So let's make sure that we would live our lives that would give us the opportunity not just to do, do good things, but the opportunity to use words, our mouth, to point people to Jesus, to have conversations that would share the gospel and point others to Christ. Not just a life filled with good deeds, a, a life that is using words to share the gospel and calling people to salvation and repentance. The last thing that we should see to be a part of our peaceful love is verse 18. That our lives should be characterized by peace. Opening with this statement is what Paul says, if it is possible, shows, I would say shows that this cannot always be done. And then he qualifies this statement and says, as it depends on you. So as it is possible, as it depends on you, that we would live at peace with all. It's our responsibility to live at peace with all, to try our best, that we can do everything in our manner to be at peace with all. As far as the Christian's concerned, there should be no breach of the peace. Paul is urging his readers to do everything they can in their power to bring out peace, to preserve the peace. But is that, it does not always happen that way. So what Paul tells us, to do that all that we can do, as far as it depends on us, to be at peace with everyone. The command to live peaceably is not meant for an ideal environment, but he's met with a sinful world, a world that is inhabited by people like us. Now maybe sometimes we're the reason that peace isn't reached. Maybe sometimes it's the other party. Maybe it's sometimes, maybe it's our friend, maybe it's our sibling, or maybe it's simply us. In all situations, well, I would say we need to check ourselves to make sure that we, can, well, that we have done all that we can do to be at peace with others. I mean, this is a command that's not simply a good suggestion, but this is a command that is meant to be obeyed. The final thing that we can see that in our passage today is that if we want to be a church that loves God and loves others, then we need to be a church that has an overcoming love an overcoming love. So each one of us can probably point to a time when we've been treated wrong. Like that would be easy for us to do. We also remember, have to remember those times where we have treated others wrong. So let's not point to others today. This isn't the time that we're pointing to others, but maybe we're reflecting on our own walk. 
Scripture tells us not to avenge ourselves and to not repay evil for evil. I think this comes with a challenge as well for each and every one of us. We should never take things into our own hands, but we let, must let the Lord be sovereign over all things the Scripture calls us to do. It's not our job. God doesn't need our help. He doesn't need our, our advice on how to seek revenge. We're called to leave it to God. Let us be reminded of the gospel and how God treated us in our sin and the salvation that he offers us. We're going to be suggesting to God the ways that he should be repaying evil for evil or the things that he should be doing to people. But we should be reminded of, of the grace that God had on our lives as he called us to salvation. Our trust is in the Lord, leaving it in the hands of God. And then what we see, rather to, to, to take these things into our own hands. Man, if someone's hungry, it says give them something to eat. It says if they are thirsty, give them something to drink. I'm, I'm, I'm both of those right now. I'm hungry and thirsty. So anybody have anything to eat or drink, I would take it. But he tells us as, as people persecute us, let's not seek revenge. Let's not repay evil for evil. But in a way... Let's take care of those who have persecuted us. Let's take care of those who have done wrong doings to us. Man, maybe sometimes we are that person and we need to ask for forgiveness. But let's take care. Let's meet the needs of the people. This is one way that we are called to be set apart from the world. This reflects back to verse 1 from last week that's calling us to live our lives as a living sacrifice and that our life would be worshiped to God. Paul ends the passage by telling us to overcome evil with good. We do this by living a life that is pleasing to the Lord. Charles Spurgeon says this, You must either be overcome by evil or you must yourself overcome evil. One of the two. You cannot leave evil alone and evil will not leave you alone. You must fight. And in the battle you must either conquer or be conquered. We don't do this by ourselves. We don't go through life alone as fathers of Christ. We have the Spirit with us as we fight evil. And I would say this, the best way to get rid of an enemy is to turn him into a friend. Our, our most powerful weapon against evil is the good. May we be bold to proclaim the gospel in our lives. What we know is God is on his throne, and though all is not right in the world, he is the one who will avenge the wicked and reward the righteous. Once again, this is a way that we would live our life that as a sacrifice and worship to God. Many of these things that we would see today, look, as we would look back at our passage last week to verse 2, we do these things, we would become these things by transforming ourselves by the renewing of our mind, that we would be becoming more like a follower of Christ, that we would have these attributes that we look at today by transforming our mind, by being renewed by God's work. So would you pray with me? Father, we are thankful for the opportunity this morning to come and to hear from your word. Maybe for many of us in this room, as we would go through this list of things that we should have in our lives, the, the, the way that we would live and we would act in our lives, we would go, man, I'm missing this or I struggle with this. That we wouldn't just be people that would say like, yeah, I see that I'm, I'm struggling with this or I, I'm messing up in this area. But that we would be people that would say like, 
a need to, to, to become more like Jesus. And so we wouldn't just say like, yeah, I'm doing these things, but that we would maybe come up with an action step to become more like your son. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.